You've seen those movies where they say, make my day, or I'm your worst nightmare. Well, listen to this one. Rubber baby buggy bumpers. Ha! You didn't know I'm gonna say that, did you? Your move, creep. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Film Feast podcast. I am your host, Matt Bledsoe, and this week we are talking about Michael Mann's crime epic Heat from 1995 uh, to help me talk about it. I'm very excited to welcome back t- uh, to the show a guest who hasn't been on over a year, but he's been a busy man. So he- he's a writer um, whose work you may have seen on such sites as Polygon, Film Combat Syndicate, The Playlist, Secret Handshake, um, as well as in the pages of Fangoria. Um, some people have call- even called him a Twitter darling. It's Brandon Streisnick. Brandon, welcome <laughs> back. How you doing? <laughs> oh, I'm great. Uh, that was a, a fantastic intro. So uh, thank you for that. <laughs> but I'm, I'm doing really well. Uh, You're welcome. Like you, I try like on the intros. Very, <laughs> yeah. Very, very busy, like you said. <laughs> yes. I, we were just talking before we actually were recording about like, in this past year, I feel like things have really kind of blown up for you with your writing career. So that's, that's pretty fantastic. So yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like I was just telling you, um, that, that Miami vice piece that, uh, that I had written that you reached out to me about having me on the show and to begin with, um, I think I worded that correctly. <laughs> yeah. That's <not> right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, that week was just wild. Like you reached out to me, the Miami nice podcast reached out to me. That piece got like a lot of attention from people. And then ever since then, I've just been writing like crazy. So yeah, it's, it, I always kind of like think about like this podcast and that week of my life is like where things really started to kick off for me. So you, I, I guess you had a small part in that. So thank you. <laughs> well, you're welcome. I, that's very nice to hear. I appreciate it. Yeah. Cause I just, I just also loved Miami vice. And I mean, I knew you obviously loved it too, and I was just like, we need to do this episode. I was like, I, you and like Patrick Bromley about this movie are like the only, not the only now, but the two guys that I knew love that movie more than anybody else that I know. And I was like, I had to talk to Brand about Miami Vice. And uh, <laughs> um, it's funny how that movie's reputation has changed. It seems very quickly. And I think yeah. people, there's a weird backlash. Almost people almost getting sick of it. I've noticed. Have you noticed this? People kind of like, come on, it's not that good, guys. I'm yeah, like, <laughs> like I, I think man's work in general um, kind of has that cycle, unless it was something like Mohicans or The Insider, which were big Oscar plays. But um, uh, like Heat, I Heat wasn't like hated or anything at the time. But I do know that, um, like our mutual friend uh, Mike Scott, he's talked about this, um, how he remembers very distinctly heat not being as beloved beloved as it is um and i do know like just talking to like because i was younger then uh, i didn't see heat in theaters and i know we'll talk about this more when we talk about the actual movie um but uh just i it, it's just weird how man's work a lot of it you know has that uh, maybe a muted reaction at first i know heat definitely had that um, and it did well, it made money, but I think, you know, a lot of people were thinking, oh, it's De Niro Pacino, first time ever, uh, in, in the same frame, at least. Mm-hmm. And, you know, 
I, I think maybe that it didn't live up to what people were hoping for, but like, like Miami vice there, there was that reevaluation. And, but I think maybe, you know, it, it's just weird how that happens with his work. And I think the backlash to the reevaluation is probably, you know, just like you said, people just getting sick of hearing about it so much. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and now it's happening with black hat um, that I'm one of the people that really feels like Black Hat deserves to be reevaluated. And I've been seeing a backlash to that reevaluation now where people who hadn't seen it at the time or did see it and hated it are rewatching it based on the reevaluation and then going on Twitter and going, guys, what are you talking about? This movie still sucks. And so it's, <laughs> it's, very, it's very fun to watch like the cycles his movies go through. I mean, it's yeah, I kind of rambled there, but uh, no, no, that yeah. was that, that was good. I I mean, it, I've done a Tony Scott series for like a year and a half, and I feel like yeah, there's a little yeah. bit of like a I don't know backlash the right word, but there's a little. I see things here and there. People are like, "Oh, you guys are overrating Tony Scott," you know, maybe for this reason or that reason because he's not around and we don't make these movies anymore and things like that. Um, Michael Mann is still around, obviously, but it's like I don't. It's just like it's weird. Maybe it's being too online too. Is that like we're we're so on Twitter? Yeah, that this conversation they, doesn't happen in the real world, and it's like you know, yeah, it, yeah. I don't know. It's weird. And then Black Hat, I feel like is people are trying to stop that before it even starts. It feels like because I don't think it's gotten fully the Miami Vice. No, treatment. not at all. Yeah, like, and we're, it's we're pushing for it, but it's like they won't let it. Some people don't want to happen. <laughs> it's hard too for that one to really have a reevaluation because you know unlike Miami Vice, the director's cut is much better. And man, like, just won't make that available. I think he's kind of washed his hands of that movie, unfortunately. And so I believe the director's cut for a while was only available on FX, which is yeah. wild and bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so it's become like the kind of thing that, you know, like people will trade back and forth through like files because it's the only way to really see it. And it, you can't really have a reevaluation if that's the only way that's to be seen. And it is the better version. It makes more sense. Things are placed in a better order. And and it's like, you know, like the, <laughs> the director's cut of Miami Vice is one of the few times where I feel like the director had the wrong idea. But um, <laughs> but so so it's just funny how like it, it's funny how he has multiple movies there where like a certain cut is better than the other one. But yeah, I just I don't think the Black Cat reevaluation is ever really going to take off for, for that reason and for I don't think people are really on the Chris Hemsworth train fully, and I don't know if they ever will be. I think he's pretty great in Black Hat. I know people who love the movie who think he's terrible. So, I mean, that movie has a lot against it for a full-on reevaluation. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I've never seen that director's cut. I know it is some weird thing where it was only available through like the FX app or maybe only the yeah. channel for, for a while, and now you can't even find that. And I've never, and I really like the version that I've seen, which is the theatrical. Yeah. I can only imagine if I saw the director's cut, which everyone says is better. So, yeah, I think I, the theatrical yeah. is pretty great. And if, yeah, so I mean, if you like that, you'll definitely like the director's cut because it definitely flows better. There's just things that he does that just make more sense. And yeah, it's just a shame that he's not interested in revisiting that movie, but I get it. I mean, it it was a major flop, so I mean, he yeah. probably just wants to forget about it. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a massive bomb. So I kind of and directors are always they have a hard time with that. I think like yeah. I know notoriously John Carpenter. People bring up the thing, he'll be like, "Where were you in 1982?" <laughs> Most people are like, "I wasn't born yet, John." Yeah, Sorry, exactly. <laughs> I couldn't help you, but I would. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, it's and I mean, next year I think is the 10 year anniversary of Black Hat. I think it's 2013, right? It came out. No, it's uh, I think it's 2015, if, oh, if I'm remembering. Yeah. Oh, okay. Wow. I, didn't, I thought it was earlier than that. Um, 
Yeah, uh -huh. it's, uh, I believe, let me just make sure now, because that's going to bug me if I'm remembering. <laughs> no, it's 2015. So Wow, okay. That, I don't know why I thought it was 2013, but. That's something to look forward to. Maybe I can start getting a pitch together over the next few years to, to someone. <laughs> you got more you time know, like, than I thought. Yeah, why Why this is secretly great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I maybe he'll, something will happen in the next few years and he'll change his mind and put out like a 10 year anniversary new Blu-ray or if they even let him but i'm saying he'll come around to it and be like can you at least put on streaming or something i don't know it's so weird that he would like lock it up and, exactly uh, i mean his his movies have been getting the 4k treatment recently i mean the one we're talking about just had a nice one put out so who knows maybe maybe one day we'll get a 4k of it or something and he'll he'll come back around to it hopefully hopefully um but before we get into heat and more michael mann talk uh i, I always start ask people if you see anything good lately and they see a couple things you wanted to bring up so uh if you want to talk about those uh go for it uh yeah i just recently i saw two well i saw three new movies one of them we don't have to talk about at all but i saw uh, my <laughs> son hunter which uh we can just <laughs> not talk about that because that movie's oh, awful <laughs> i just saw screenshots and i was yeah. like this looks <laughs> terrible uh yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> I, that's a movie i do not recommend paying for which i didn't do but maybe you can edit that out but i don't think uh i don't think anyone from the daily wire is going to listen to this so i think oh, we're god good. i hope not <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah and i but the, the good movies I actually saw, the one I'll go with that I didn't love as much, but really liked, I'll talk about that first really quick, was uh, The Woman King, I thought was really great. But um, I think people were more effusive about it than I am. I thought it was just a really solid right down the middle movie. But I but I, I love Gina Prince-Bythewood. Um, she's one of my favorite filmmakers. So I and I know that a lot of people on film Twitter really love her. Um, so I get why the praise for that's been so effusive. I just don't think it's one of her better movies. The action's terrific, though. But um, but it's that movie's really great, and it's had a kind of a weird backlash um, that I don't think we need to get super into. But uh, just it seems like there's a lot of bad faith talk going around right now because it's about um, the, uh, they're called the the Home tribe, um, and they in real life were prominent slave traders, and uh, the, uh -huh. the movie goes into that. But a, a lot of people saw that this was like you know a power fantasy about this like female uh, tribe of warriors and everything. And I think a lot of people saw that and were like, Oh, you're going to gloss over history and everything, but the movie doesn't, but it's just, so there's been a weird backlash. There's been like a boycott woman King hashtag going around. So if anyone is listening, I don't think you have the kind of audience that would like fall into that bad faith kind of stuff, but uh, I definitely recommend seeing it. It's, it does touch on that history for sure. Um, okay. Yeah. I just, yeah. just heard about this controversy like today. Yeah. And uh, I thought I have only seen like a trailer once in a theater and I've seen a couple commercials, but not that much marketing behind it, but it looked good from what I yeah, saw for sure. Um, so yeah. And some people have been reacting completely out of like just hearing something and they haven't actually seen it themselves. So um I'm going to reserve judgment until I actually see it because I do want to see it at some point. It looked it looked good. So uh, I take every movie that does any kind of <laughs> historical true story with some kind of grain of salt because, oh, yeah. I mean, it's just it's a movie. First of all, it's not it's like it's not a documentary and they almost all of them take some kind of liberties. And, you know, I don't know. Well, I'll see it for myself, but I'm interested. I'm glad you enjoyed it, though. Yeah. Like I made the point on Twitter that the time period that this is set in is like set in like, you know, when white European countries were like sailing around and exploring the globe. So like, like colonial times or like pre-colonial times. And um, I, I made the point that we have a lot of films set in that time period based on, you know, 
white people that gloss over horrific history. I mean, there's multiple Christopher Columbus movies that just gloss right over all of his atrocities. So right, I'm right. not going to lose too much sleep if we get a, a movie that sands a few things down, but from a different lens for once. I mean, it's, I mean, come on. <laughs> I think people are being a little too ridiculous here, but I mean, it is what it is. That's Twitter for you, I guess. I was going to say, again, this is Twitter. So <laughs> most people in the real world probably have no idea. This exactly. Is exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, and the other movie I saw, which I loved was, um, and I feel bad if I'm not pronouncing it correctly, but S- Salome, I think it's pronounced. Um, it's a, uh, it's, I believe it's from Senegal. And okay. it's uh, it's on Shutter right now. And it got a brief... Um, yeah, Senegal. Uh, it, it got a brief theatrical window. Um, it's playing in a local art house near me, which I, so that's where I saw it. Um, it's great in a theater, but it's, uh, it, it's, it's a very interesting kind of genre mash. It's about like uh, these, these group of mercenaries called the hyenas who transport people back and forth. Um, and their plane goes down over a part of Senegal that is like, mystical and so it, it starts off kind of like just as you know a mercenary men on a mission movie and they end up being confronted by like what i described on twitter as your own personal demons like they're confronted by manifestations of their own past and it's like kind of like from dust till dawn almost but oh. mm-hmm. instead of the vamp <laughs> yeah instead of being you know like halfway through they're besieged by vampires instead they're besieged by you know demons and it's it's a really beautiful film it's extremely well directed the action's excellent the three leads are incredible um it's just it's really nice to see africa you know really getting their movies have been getting a lot of focus the last few years and this is one of the best i've seen just you know uh, and i don't want to i don't want to generalize africa because there's so many different countries but um just from that region this is one of the best i've seen in a long time so i really if if anyone has shutter I absolutely recommend checking it out. It, it's especially if you're an action fan, and I know you, you know we have a lot. You're not we. You have a lot of listeners <laughs> on action Twitter, um, and so I definitely think if anyone on action Twitter hasn't seen it, it's well worth checking out. It's a really great film, and it's probably one of my favorites this year. Okay, cool. Yeah, I I appreciate you had mentioned it, and a couple other people I follow on Twitter had mentioned it, and that's really all I'd heard of it, but. Uh, just looking at it, I was like, well, this seems like it's something I'd be into. <laughs> so yeah, definitely. It seems cool. I lose track. I mean, uh, with all streaming services, but sometimes stuff comes up on Shutter where I'm like, I hear nothing about it. You know what I mean? It's yeah, just they, like it... <laughs> they're, they're such a niche, niche like streamer that if you don't, if you're not keyed in, because I'm not keyed into horror all the time. And and I wouldn't even really call this like horror, really. It's more of an action horror, but still it, it you know, it works for being on shutter but yeah if you're not keyed into that world it is hard it is easy to miss things and so i totally get that yeah but i it's on my list actually already i didn't realize but i had my watch list <laughs> but um so i definitely check it out before i forget because yeah stuff kind of yeah, like pops on shutter and i'm like oh where'd this come from and uh i've been on there recently i've been watching uh the 101 scariest movie moments uh i don't know if you've been into that at all they started posting that weekly which has been entertaining because i'm a huge fan of that bravo 100 scariest movie moments from like so god like 15 years ago or yeah years ago now it's basically that again and it's like it's oh that's a, awesome it's uh it's it, they have more time because uh they had to cram i think like 20 20 yeah 20 <laughs> movies into like one hour in the bravo one this one only does like 
12 ish movies per episode so they can talk longer about them um i've seen it's funny because they've had a lot of crossover so far with movies they talked about um and it's good i like it it's more uh serious than i thought the bravo one was like the bravo one was like kind of there was some random people in there too like the broken lizard guys and like the Coors Light twins. Like there was just these random <laughs> personalities, which was fun and funny. But like um, this one has more, I would say like serious horror people, like directors, writers, um, just people more in the horror world. Um, so it's good. Um, and yeah, it's been, it's been, it's like one, I think they released like one a week until Halloween. Um, so if people want something for the spooky season coming up, then it's, it's been pretty interesting, but um I, I've otherwise always, no, oh, I was gonna, oh no i was just gonna say really quick i always love stuff like that especially you mentioned of like weird personalities showing up because it just takes me back being you know like a younger teen and just like watching like you know best week ever on vh1 and stuff like oh, yeah, that yeah. you know just where <laughs> all these random people would show up like d and z list celebrities and so that that stuff's <laughs> always been so fun for me so i'll definitely have to check that out that's how I learned about a lot of random pop culture stuff was the too, VH1, yeah. the VH1 stuff. I th it's funny because like all these YouTube channels do like the same thing VH1 was doing like 20 years ago with like, I love the 80s, I love the <laughs> 90s, whatever decade. And I know all these random facts from before I was born just because I watched all these, I love the 70s, I love the 80s shows. That's exactly <laughs> it for me. Those were like major, major pop culture awakenings for me. Just like, oh, that sounds interesting. I'll have to seek that out. And that was before... <laughs> The internet was as easy to fall down rabbit holes as it is now, so things were harder to find. But so it's it's very it, that stuff's very nostalgic for me. Yeah, same here. And then I mean that that Bravo 100 scariest movie moments. I did a whole episode on it with someone else. We ran down the whole 100. Um, <laughs> my my friend Bradley and I just ran down the whole list, and that was like pivotal for me getting into horror because there were so many movies on there that I'd never seen or never even heard of, and they would show these clips. And they got they got away with a lot. They showed like a lot of graphic stuff. I don't know how, but um, and I'd be like, holy shit, what was that? Or, you know, it was the beyond by Fulci. And it was like, oh, my God, this is insane. Um, so, yeah, the new one's been good. I hope for some people it it does the same thing, like younger like kids who watch it and they get into horror because, um, yeah, they don't replay the Bravo one. So this is like they need an update. So it's a good mix so far of like newer stuff and older stuff, too, I think. Um, they wanted two episodes, but um but yeah, well, that's why I haven't watched. I, mean, I didn't mean cut you off. Have you watched anything else? Or oh, no, that, those were those were the two big ones that I've watched recently. I've been having a little trouble seeing newer things. Uh, you know, there, there were, this was a packed weekend, too. Like, The Woman King's out, Pearl's out, uh, the new Fletch movie's out, which feels like that was hidden from everybody. Oh, God, um, yeah, that, talk about Woman King not getting marketing. That, yeah. that's, that movie, Fletch movie's getting nothing. I feel like if I wasn't on Twitter, I would not know it was coming out at all. Me like, neither. One of, one of my friends, actually, the site I write for, Secret Handshake, one of the guys who runs that, um, he tweeted about it and just said how good it was. And I was like, wait, there's a new flat. Like, it was crazy. Like, I, it's like, what are you talking? I was like, is this a joke? <laughs> but um, I mean, it stars John Hamm too. And it's, it, but I'm just happy to hear it's good because I've always liked Fletch and I've liked those books. So hopefully I can check that out. But yeah, those are just the only two big ones I've seen fairly recently. Yeah. And I do want to, I do want to see those. Um, it's, it's been busy for me too. And I, I'm behind, I gotta, I'm seeing barbarian finally tomorrow. Oh, I see nice, finally and it came nice. out like last week, but <laughs> you know, it feels like if you're behind on the discourse, it's like, you know, and, uh, I want to see Pearl without probably be next weekend now. So I'm just trying to catch up with keep, oh, keep up with all the new stuff. So yeah, me um, too. It seems, seems like, you know, there were a couple of weeks there where nothing was coming out, which is why top gun was back at the number one spot, <laughs> but like, which that's crazy in and of itself. I but I'm, never thought I'd see that again, honestly, like, I'm so like, happy about it. But, uh, 
but yeah, uh, now it seems like things are starting to be put out again at a pretty, you know, high level. So, you know, it's hard to keep up with everything, but hopefully you like Barbarian. I thought it was pretty cool and hopefully no one spoiled it for you yet. Cause there's a lot of twists and turns <laughs> in that movie. No. And I've told people specific, I have a friend who I work with who was trying to talk about it, And I was like, please don't, I don't want to know anything. <laughs> like, I don't want to know anything. Yeah. And I haven't even watched a trailer. I don't think I've maybe seen like quick YouTube you know, like a 10 second thing, but I have been avoiding because everyone I know has loved it. Basically. I don't think anyone's even had anything negative to say yet. No, so. it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, It's, I had a blast with it and it just, it's one of those movies now that the, I've been seeing YouTube ads of uh, which it, it makes me so happy to see this kind of marketing again, where they're, they're showing people's reactions in the theater oh, yeah. thing. And it's just, I love that kind of stuff. Cause it, I mean, it, it, it does inflate kind of what, you know, your expectations are, but I think for this movie overall, that, that kind of uh, those kind of expectations are good to have for sure. There's a lot of, a lot of places this movie goes. <laughs> and I, crazy thing. I found out that it's directed by one of the guys who was on that show, whitest kids, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And he and... did a movie called miss March, I believe, which I remember being pretty, terrible so it yeah. sounds like he's really like come around so it's, that's good. it's pretty surprising because the direction's really strong um I, I will say you know i don't want to like lower expectations for anyone or for you i don't love it as much as everyone else i think you know i said this elsewhere but like we're we're very starved for like holy shit kind of movies and yeah. so when we <laughs> when we get one that's a little off the wall i think people overinflate how crazy it is i, I wouldn't say it's at malignant level for me but it's still pretty wild. And in his direction, I think is what I liked most about it, to be honest, is very confident. I think he's, he has a strong voice and what he wants to say. And so, yeah, it was really surprising. And, and what's not surprising is that the movie's very funny. And so coming from that background, that makes a lot of sense because it's, it's a very funny movie. Yeah, man. Well, I'm very excited to see it finally. So I can just kind of also get actually read about it once I see it. Cause I've been avoiding yeah. everything. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Um, well, if you didn't have anything else, I had two uh, two I was going to bring up. Um, both actually recommendations from uh, friends of mine. Um, our friend Preston Mitchell on Twitter, um, he finally was the one that got me to watch Hell or High Water. Because oh, he, nice. He tweeted about it, and I was like, I got to watch that movie because I have I've had the Blu-ray for like years. I have never actually watched it. Um, it's really good. I don't like as much as Preston, but it's like a five-star classic for him. But I thought it was really good. Um, have you seen this one? I have. Yeah, I saw okay. it the one time when it came out um, and really loved it. And I just remember thinking, you know, how great it was. And it, at the time, it felt like one of those kind of movies that was good enough to be awarded, you know, by mm -hmm. the, the various awards bodies that are out there. But I didn't think it was going to happen. For some reason, I felt like maybe it was too within you know some kind of genre world which looking back maybe it's not but I, I was really happy when it got you know a best picture nomination and got a few you know a few acting nominations it's a, it's a really great movie um i i love that movie i think yeah 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 i was pretty blown away by the performances specific like spe especially because i um ben foster and chris pine were great especially ben foster's always good and he's yeah. like a freaking chameleon because i feel like i see him pop up in these movies and i don't even recognize him sometimes but like he's always doing something different i feel like um and he's so good at playing like the the real shithead dirtbag brother in this because <laughs> if you won't know it's, it's two brothers um who were trying to save their family's ranch and they start robbing banks 
Um, it's funny also both my movies involve heists and <laughs> and uh, when we're talking about heat and th- th- these guys it's funny to watch the, the the heist and heat versus the bank robberies in high, hell or high water because it's like night and day because these guys come in completely unprofessional um, you know, they they barely know what they don't know what they're doing <laughs> they're just trying to like desperately take cash out of the drawers and like just scrounge up what they can um, it's 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 really good it is it's listed as like crime drama thriller western it's, it's definitely all of those things it feels like you could take it and place it in like a an old west setting like do it and it, it would still work you know like two brothers robbing banks and a sheriff after them and um jeff bridge is great as always it does sound like <laughs> he swallowed like a bunch of cigarettes and gravel <laughs> in that movie <laughs> like especially but um it i you know i didn't know where it was lots of some turns and it was gonna go um I was really rooting for these guys even to to rob their banks because they just they have like such a clear goal of like they just want to save their ranch and they kind of got screwed over by the banks in the first place. There's a lot of like post um, recession kind of feeling in this movie. And I came out in 2016. So it's a few years after that. But um, there's definitely a lot of like anger and distrust toward banks and just they show these like Texas towns, these small Texas towns that have like all fallen on hard times and like people just struggling to get by. And it captures that so well. Um, talking to Preston who lives in Texas, he he did confirm. He's like, he's like, it really captures small town Texas pretty well, I think. And uh, uh, I agree. Cause I was like, this feels so authentic. Like a lot of people background kind of players feel like they're just people they found in a town or something. <laughs> like, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. yeah. It's, it's really good. It's a really solid movie. Um and yeah, I just really enjoyed it. The The last scene, I won't say what it is, obviously, but is pretty great. Just a conversation between two characters. And I was like, this is a pretty perfect ending. <laughs> so um, definitely. Yeah, I, I still impress it, too. I think I'd like it even more on rewatch just because I don't know. I just feel like it has it's got a grower, but it was really it was really solid. Um, and so I really like that. And the only other thing I'll talk about is a movie that my friend Daniel Epler, I, I believe it was his number one discovery when we did our discoveries episode last year so it was like his favorite first time watch of 2021 which is a film noir from 1948 called they live by night right i that's that's so funny that's a movie that i've had on either dvd or blu-ray i don't know it's on my shelf but it's one of those blind buys that i bought years and years ago that i've never watched and i've always wanted to (laughs) it's i think it has a criterion that's probably Um, what i have then I, i would have to go look but uh yeah during the Barnes Noble sale, probably that's when I blind yeah. all my criteria. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's um, one of those ones. Yeah, that you're yeah. just like, oh, I'll like, I'll like this, and then it just sits there for years. <laughs> it's a good one to own too, because I think it's not super easy to see. Like, I don't think you can just rent it from any place. It happened to be on HBO Max, which is one of the reasons I watched it right now. It's like the only place you can see is HBO Max. Um, and I was like, oh, I should probably watch that because Daniel loved it, and it's really, really good. Um. Uh, it's a it's a film noir, but I feel like it's a film noir mixed with like a a romance. And I feel like I do like film noir, not as much as a lot of people I'm friends with on Twitter. But um, I don't always connect with the characters. A lot of times, character film noirs are like very like they're cool. Sometimes they're kind of like caricatures. But I don't know if I get like emotionally invested in them. But They Live by Night is basically about this escaped convict who gets injured in a robbery. And he falls in love with the the woman who kind of nurses him back to health. And she's a daughter of like uh, one of the guys who kind of houses the bank robbers. And um, so they basically run off together because she doesn't like her life. He doesn't really seem like he wants to be involved in a life of crime and he has his money. So they take off together and 
it's really just like a young couple in love story. And I really was into that. It's very sweet at parts. And it's like, you're really rooting for these two as a couple, but then there's all these outside forces that are kind of um, pulling them apart or coming against them. And it's just uh, like, I was just surprised how into those two main characters and their relationship I was. And it's, I, oh, I don't want to say too much, obviously spoilers, but it's like, uh, it um, by the end I was uh, very emotionally invested and I was like oh man this is like most noirs though obviously there's some some real gut punches along the way and it's like <laughs> oh it's like this is like kind of you know sad and dark and um I don't want to say too much I don't remember how Daniel said when he desc- described it but um it's very interesting because yeah like I said with noirs it's like I just don't feel like I usually get this emotion invested in the characters and what happens to them, but I really cared what happened to these two. And I should say they're played by Kathy O'Donnell and Farley Granger, the two leads. Um, it's a Nicholas Ray movie too, and he's a pretty great director. So oh, he's fantastic. Yeah. So it's it was very good. I was, uh, and by the end, I was like, oh, I'm really into this. <laughs> like I really care what happens to these two. So um, I would highly recommend it, especially if you own it to pull it off the shelf. Um, it's it's good. I uh, I think I might buy it in the next Criterion sale actually. So yeah, and and Farley Granger is great. Um, he's in a few Hitchcock movies, Rope and uh, what's the other one? Strangers on a Train. Yes, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and Rope is one of my favorite Hitchcocks, flat out, and he's ter- terrific in it. So yeah, I'm definitely gonna have to check this out now. Yeah, Rope is fantastic. I think I watched that for the first time last year, and it was like. I, I knew what the gimmick was beforehand, but yeah. going in and seeing him pull it off, I was like, okay, this is pretty great. <laughs> like, it's, it's tremendous. Yeah. And then the whole final scene, you know, where the green light is flashing on the whole scene, you know, oh, from the yeah, building, yeah. it's just, it's so gorgeous. And yeah, I love that movie. So good. Um, so yeah, that was, I just had those two things because uh, we got to talk about heat because it's, <laughs> it's a big, it's a big movie. I'm not going to lie to you. I like, I, I was very excited about talking about heat. Like it was a weird series of events how we got to this because I had just rewatched heat. I think because heat Two, the book was coming out and then you tweeted about it like right after I watched it and you had a great like thread of tweets and maybe appreciate even more. And then I was just like, Oh shit, I should invite Brandon on talk about heat because <laughs> I'm, I'm in the mood to talk about heat. And, uh, and now that it's happening, I'm like, oh, God, what do I say about a movie that's so like... I, I feel you know. the exact same way. It's so funny, you know, <laughs> that you reached out to me about this because I I bought the... I got the Steelbook, the 4K, because... Uh, and it was it was funny. Uh, and I also didn't mean to cut you off, but uh, I, I'm just... I'm, I was feeling the same exact way, though, when you reached out to me. I just was like, what am I going to say about this? And And it's funny feeling that way because I watched it three days in a row after I got the 4K. <laughs> But it's just, there's so many directions you can go. And it's just like seeing it again for the first time in 15 years. And a few few of our mutual friends, like I think uh, Matt Essery and a few other people kind of were like outraged that it had been so long, especially because man's my favorite filmmaker. But I just kind of fell in a rabbit hole of like, you know, 80s man and then 2000s digital man where those were like the ones I was revisiting the most. And so I put off heat for a long, long time. And rewatching it again was like, no, this is his masterpiece. Like I can have my favorite Michael Mann, you know, Miami Vice is my favorite movie of all time, but, but this is man's best movie, you know, give or take insider. But um, yeah, I just couldn't believe, you know, just falling right back into it. And there's just so much to this movie. It's wild. Yeah. It's like people use the term sprawling epic. I feel like they kind of overuse that term for stuff, but no heat really fits the bill i mean 
it's almost three hours long and I feel like it actually earns being that long because some movies just feel like they just want to be that long for the sake of it. But I'm oh, like, yeah. there's so much going on. And like, um, yeah, it's funny you said it's a masterpiece because I've, I've held that for a while. And like Miami Vice obviously has crept way up. And uh, I mean, I like Black Hat a lot. I love Collateral. Um, oh, for sure. Yeah. I meant to rewatch Thief when James Caan died. And I still have not gotten back around to it. I know people love Thief. Oh, that's really I like, mean, yeah. <laughs> oh no, I agree with you. Like that, that one is that has a case for being his masterpiece yeah. when it's his first movie. <laughs> it's amazing that his career has case like multiple movies could be his masterpiece. Like, yeah, most people don't have that, and he genuinely has that case we made for a few things. Like, and I wouldn't really argue anybody. Like, I know people love Last of the Mohicans and Insider. I think they're both great movies, but I, I almost feel like they're not quite what I want from Michael Mann, which is more of a me. That's a personal thing, obviously, <laughs> like, because Last Time Mohicans is a period piece and Insider's not really an action. Well, it's not an action movie at all. It's great. It's like, I kind of want like this, these crime movies, I think is yeah. what I'm after. Um, so yeah, but I, I know people say Insider's like his best and I can't fault them either for that. <laughs> no, and, and I agree with you. Um, Whenever I say, you know, oh, Heat's his best movie, you know, I'll get a little bit of, you know, what about the Insider? And, and it's like, yeah, I agree with you. I think, technically speaking maybe that is his best movie but i'm i'm like you i the man i i think insiders faultless and so this isn't a slight against the insider at all it's just if i'm going to michael mann i want what you described and and maybe that's putting him in a, in a little bit of a box but i mean it's just it's what he does best i think he just these pulpy crime films that just have these always have this sense of romance about the crime to them you know, almost more, there's such romantic films, but it's always about the job. And it's, it, it's so interesting, you know, that Black Hat for a long time was his final movie, because that's the first one where the romance feels like it finally transcends the job and lets one of his protagonists, you know, have a life with, you know, with the person he loves. And it right. just, that was such a shocking thing to see because, you know, Heat is the perfect example of the opposite of that. You know, these two guys are so linked to their jobs, like romantically that, you know, they can't, that there's no way out for either of them, you know, the cop or the thief. It's uh, yes. Just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a great point. That's the stuff that, that's the stuff that really hits more on rewatches, I think. Yeah. Is the, the character stuff and the personal relationships that they have. I think, Oh, there's so many ways I can go with this conversation because I because <laughs> I was gonna say, I don't know about you like we're both we're both very young in '95. I'm like I'm eight years old. I'm not watching Heat at eight in '95. Like yeah, I um, was I was probably five then. I think so. Yeah, <laughs> but definitely not watching Heat. I don't. I know I saw it for the first time at like a relative's house at Thanksgiving, and I was probably like a early teenager because Heat at that point. So now we're in the 2000s. And that point, it is a movie that like it is talked about pretty. Uh, you know, it's well regarded by that point. And people are like, you got to see Heat. You know, if you yeah. love movies, you got to see Heat. And at that point, I don't think I had the patience for Heat as a 13, 14 year old boy. Um, and I like, I remember I kind of liked it, but I was like, I was really only focused on the more, you know, action parts, the shootouts and the robberies yeah. and like that stuff. The other stuff kind of was not working for me, but it's like a movie you need to have life experience for, I think. For sure. Yeah. A 13 year old boy is not going to appreciate the marital problems and the romantic, you know, issues and, and just all the stuff that's going on. And I think you, you said this earlier before we got into the actual discussion about like why a lot of man films 
see how they don't hit right away. And I, I said this actually to our friend Preston. We were messaging about actually me doing this episode heat and he's like a lot of his movies are growers and i think they're and i say i think they're growers because the the stuff some stuff hits right away like heat it's like everyone talks about the the bank robbery and the diner scene and just that kind of the really stuff that hits but there's so much like low-key stuff in his movies that i think you have to re-watch for it to really hit you like i watch i've seen heat i don't know five or six times in my life now. And I've, I've three of those times have been the past couple of years. <laughs> and like, <laughs> and all the, the other character stuff, like I said, and the relationships, that stuff's like, you're not going to probably be super key into that the first time you watch it. But I feel like that stuff's so rewarding on rewatches because it's just more subtle, I think. And he has a lot of, like, let me advice talk about this too. I think there's so much subtle stuff going on in the background, just kind of like not right in the forefront. And I feel like it just rewards those rewatches to, know the characters better and know the relationship so i just that's my theory on why they maybe are like are more like they grow over time because you need time to appreciate his stuff i think i i think that's true and i think you know i was just thinking about miami vice while you were saying that because i think you know and and not to go back into that movie because you and i did a whole episode on that <laughs> but um just yeah like you you go into his movies and you have a certain expectation i mean if you're not familiar with michael mann whole like on the whole so you see like a trailer for something like heat or miami vice you're like oh this is going to be action-packed you know especially miami vice because you're like oh it's based on that tv show everybody loved this is just going to be really cool and really action-packed then when you see the movies it's a lot of like non-verbal communication a lot of glances a lot of things being conveyed you know the trust between crockett and tubbs being you know conveyed just through looks and and i think that's a lot of heat as well um in I think Miami Vice especially could almost play as a silent film. You could remove all the dialogue and you could still kind of get what it's going for. And I think you could probably say that about Heat too, although there's a lot of stuff that would probably be missed if you did that. But um, <laughs> a lot of great lines too. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but what I what I keyed in the most this to into the most this time was how sprawling it was and how you how you're able to tell this really tragic story about people who can't escape the life of crime and how it poisons everything around them. And, and what was really hitting for me, what what felt saddest for me on this rewatch was, um, oh, I can't believe I'm forgetting his name. This is horrible. Uh, Dennis Haysbert's character. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, it was something I kind of glossed over when I was a teenager because I, I was like you. I probably saw this as a younger teen, maybe 14, 15, which is why I say it was 15 years ago when I watched it, because I'm 31 now. So it was somewhere in that time frame as a teenager when I was getting into film and I was trying to watch all, you know, a lot of the classics, mostly classics from the 90s that I was maybe too young for. So I would watch Pulp Fiction. I would watch Train Spotting, Goodfellas. And those all really hit for me. And I watched Heat because, that, you know, that was one of the ones that especially my dad was like, oh, you know, this is a classic movie now. And I watched it and I remember thinking, this is really great, but I also felt maybe muted on it. And then watching it now as an adult, like you said, with life experience, you watch someone like Dennis Haysbert's character who you maybe as a, as a teen might have just glossed right over. And now he has this whole story going on in the background of the film that's just devastating because, I mean... I can't remember. We're allowed to spoil things, right? I mean, for yeah, I've been twenty something. It's funny. I just brought up reason I'm bad about like giving spoiler warnings, but sometimes I forget. <laughs> especially if I like, heat, I'm like, it's 25 years old. People have yeah, seen it, but yeah. spoiler warnings. People, we're, we're going to spoil heat if you haven't seen it. Yeah, <laughs> please go watch heat. Like, well, please. <laughs> well, Breeden's death is just so devastating because it's so 
anticlimactic. You know, he had he keeps popping in this movie as a guy who's trying to better his life. And then the minute Macaulay comes to him in the back of your mind, you're like, oh no. You know, right. you, you you're on like this path to maybe getting out of this life. And as soon as Macaulay comes to him, his death warrant is signed. And then he's just shot during the getaway and you barely see it happen. It, it's almost like you see it from, you know, De Niro, like you, you see it happens in the background because you're watching, you know, De Niro in the passenger seat. And it's just, it's so devastating because you're like, this is what crime does to all of these people. And it's so, there, there's this romance around the job and around crime and around, you know, a life committed to that. But its end is so final and without ro- any kind of romance you know you're you, w- when you when you're taken out you're taken out and that's it and that's what i really keyed into was how all of these guys lives are just destroyed in an instant and it almost didn't matter you know the, the same thing happens with cerrito tom sizemore's character he's this family man you know he, he'll do anything for his family and he's just shot in the head trying to hold a child hostage and then that's it there, there's you know it's not there, there's nothing seismic not to make a pun on Sizemore's name but (laughs) there's nothing seismic about his death it's just it happens and we move on and it's just it it, I kept keying into that while watching this and you know how you know brief it all is and you know these this commitment to something that is rewarding but it's it's never going to love you back (laughs) That's no, that's a great point. And uh, just about how a man's been kind of like, I think that happens in Black Hat too, where people get killed off and they're kind of major characters and they just oh, kind yeah. of get blown away. And you're like, oh shit, they're dead. But they're, it's like, it's so, it's so matter of fact with him. And uh, is it, it's funny because he romanticizes some of this other stuff, but people getting killed off, I don't think he really usually romanticizes that. Like, I mean, uh, yeah, Dennis Haysburg just gets kill driving the car and it's so quick you're like oh okay he's dead and then like sizemore it's like well you know he's dead but it's yeah like, <laughs> he gets shot right in the head but it, it's funny because i have a lot of sympathy for the the criminals but I mean, it's funny he takes a, a child hostage and i lose all sympathy for him but oh yeah he's uh, it's it i think that's such an interesting thread to weave is that they do build sizemore up as this family man who's like you know outside of this life you know he loves his wife he loves his kids and he's just like you know this he this is all that matters for him is his family and you see you normally in you know film when you see someone's a family man you think oh they're a good guy you know they wouldn't hurt anybody but you see how far his commitment to his family goes is that he doesn't care about anyone else's family or anyone else's kids and that he's willing to destroy another family to keep his going and you know that's just it's such a you know smart way to you know, get his character across, you know, showing that the depth to he'll sink, becoming a full on monster while in the back of his mind thinking, you know, this is the right thing to do. I need to protect my family. Yeah. I, it's almost like, I don't know if it's intentional man reminding you, like these guys are still criminals who will do what it takes to, you know, get out alive and get what they want. And, you know, just, I've, you know, I've kind of made you, I've seen, you've seen their lives, they have families, they have wives and like, but you know, don't forget, like, you know, they'll do some underhanded shit uh to to get out of here and i'm glad you brought up dennis haysbert specifically because that's something i felt like i never keyed into really for years because actually when he comes in the movie you're almost like why are we even meeting this character um and it's he's an actor too that i don't like it's so i think he's mostly known as the insurance guy now because he does all state i think it's like you're in good hands it's like his you know yeah and, <laughs> and it's he comes into this and he comes in like a job in a kitchen he's gotten out of jail 
he the, the chef he works for is an asshole <laughs> immediately an <laughs> asshole uh, you feel bad for him because it's like he doesn't want to be here but he's trying to do the right thing and um then he has that really good scene with his i think it's girlfriend or wife where he's like why even with me you know i'm just really down on himself and uh you can tell she still cares about him and i mean you could tell why he would want to just get out of this job when <laughs> when uh when Pacino, or de niro comes to him because it's like this sucks and he kind of misses it i know he misses but he is he's like okay i got it i got a ticket now to get you know something going here and uh and it has this whole arc and it's such a quick he's in like four scenes you know it's like but it's it's so well done and i it's like that's a great encapsulation of like i, I think you mentioned when you tweeted about it like it's such a deep bench of actors like the credits yeah. never stop you're yeah. like that person that person and they all everybody's on their a game everybody is bringing it like i don't i don't think there's a bad performance in the movie like everybody is like es- like elevating their performances I, everyone's so good and i feel like he doesn't have much to do but he is he's so good in his few scenes so I'm, I'm really glad you called him out specifically yeah and speaking of that bench i mean there's just there's not a i mean he's so good with casting i mean he found people like dennis farina who were who was an actual cop who was consulting on thief i believe uh and you know he finds these people that are just you you believe them immediately and and as you go down like the the list i mean it's just crazy there's I mean, not to go off to too much of a tangent, but there's just, there's like even Pacino's uh, uh, team, you know, you have Ted Levine and um, Wes Studi, and I can never say, I don't know if it's Michael T. Williams or Mikel T. Williams from uh, Forrest Gump, but uh, he he, uh, he plays Bubba in Forrest Gump. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and his team is just filled with like these ringers that I think in lesser hands would just be like, you know, a character actor, someone you maybe recognize, but, you know, and all these guys are character actors for sure. But these are also guys that could theoretically lead a movie too. <laughs> and right. and it's, it's just, it's wild. It's so wild how, you know, you just keep going down the list and you're like, oh my God. And, you know, Tom Noonan's in it for five seconds and he gives like this <laughs> amazing performance in a wheelchair. And you're just like, you want to know all about this guy. Who is this guy? You know, it's, it's just such a wild cast. Yeah. You know, it's, you always think about De Niro Pacino and, um, and Kilmer, if you think about anyone past those two, but I mean, it's just full of faces. Yeah, it's I was it's funny because I actually had a question about like besides the guys in the poster, which actually Kilmer makes the poster with Pacino Nero because he, I mean, Kilmer is very hot. I mean, he's Batman the same year, so oh, yeah. it's like he, which is he, wild to me that he did both of these in the same year. They're so so much different from performances, <laughs> so different. But like, what a year too for him. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I mean. This may be a really hard question. Beyond the three guys on the poster, do you have a favorite performance in the movie? Oh man, that's that is tough because there are just like the I always I've been going back to Dennis Haysbert a lot, but I don't know if he's fully my favorite. Um Sizemore is great. I think uh wow, that's <laughs> that is a good question. It's tough. This may be a trick question too, because I could probably watch it and key in on a different performance each time like a and be like oh that person's really standing out this time or or this person that time because like yeah i think the last time really was dennis haysbert but i mean i would so many people it's like honestly the i and maybe it's just because her final moment but amy brenneman as uh uh edie oh yeah really stayed with me this last time. I think her final moments, just her face, facial expressions as Neil runs away 
is just, it's incredible. And I think her performance is very underrated because man gets dinged a lot with not writing women very well, which I, I can agree with. I think the women in this are definitely there to kind of prop up the men in the film. Totally mm -hmm. agree with that criticism. But at the same time, you know, she, Diane Venora and Ashley Judd are giving incredible performances. <laughs> and yeah. so it's, it's like, it's one of those things where I totally see the criticism, but I'm also just like, look at what they're doing within the film. It's just, it's in her. So she might be one of like low key, one of the better performances in the film, just because, and, and she's going toe to toe with De Niro. And, you know, I don't know if Amy Brenneman's like the most well-known actress. And so to go toe to toe with someone like Robert De Niro, who like, even in 95 was like, you know, he had already done Raging Bull, Godfather 2, Taxi Driver. Like he was already a legend. And mm -hmm. it's just, you know, that was one of the selling points of the film was that these two legends were going to, you know, meeting on screen. And uh, so to be able to go to toe-to-toe -to -to -toe with him and to kind of, you know, her purpose is to kind of take away some of his iciness and she does it so well. And it's just, she's, I think she's kind of a low-key MVP of the movie. I'm glad you brought her up too, because one of my notes was uh, her final scene. She made is like, breaks my heart that's on rewatches that hits more than like anything oh yeah is, and it's all facial expressions she doesn't say anything she just watches him um run away and like and it's a look to me it's like I, you could read it a lot of different ways but i i one thing i always get out of it is she's just like are you fucking kidding me yeah, <laughs> yeah like, like i just threw away my life for you <laughs> yeah and, i mean yeah it's like not to be it's kind of a comedic like a, of a serious moment but like i know she's like heartbroken but i'm just yeah i, I feel her pain because it's like she went through she's going along with this guy and it's like this is crazy to almost you know go along with him but she clearly cares about him and then he's just gonna like well first of all he got himself in a situation because he couldn't just leave you know like yeah he his he, pride got the better of him and yeah and then he just bails on her and she's like you're just gonna leave me here like that's the look it's like i cannot believe this is happening to me like she's just devastated and who could blame her and it's like oh it kills me yeah she's a great call out because all i really knew her from was like she had a show like called judging amy or something yeah yeah it was on for a long time and i don't know you know much about it but um but yeah, she's really good. And yeah, she's acting against De Niro. I think every scene is just against him. So yeah, um, not an easy job, you would think. So no, and yeah. Well, you you bringing up the scene that kind of like ruins everything for him. That's one of the criticisms I've seen about this movie, even over the years, as people acknowledge it as, you know, a masterpiece and everything. A lot of people I've seen, even I, I, I want to say someone, a few people responded in my thread that you brought up about this about how they didn't buy that Macaulay would abandon, you know, the whole thing about, you know, you see the heat coming around the corner and you got to be out right. with 30 seconds. And they didn't buy that, you know, he would put everything into jeopardy to go after Wayne Grow. And I kind of disagree with that because I feel like as much as he is in love with Edie, I, I've said it before, his first love is the job. And, you know, Wayne Grow destroyed that for him. He destroyed his team. He destroyed the job for him. And I think his one love more than anything is the job and his pride was taken from him by Wayne Grove for, you know, tipping off the police and, and, uh, or no, did he tip off the police or did he tip off the, uh, now, now I'm mixing up moments and I just, oh, so I know it. it is confusing. I think he tips off William uh, Fichtner. Yeah. Right? And Henry, yeah. Or Henry Rollins and they go to Rollins place and that's yeah. how they get the information, I believe that that's, yeah, that's yeah. what it is. Okay. Yeah. So either way, Wayne Grove, 
ruined everything for him. So I, I don't think it's that far of a stretch to say that, you know, to, to Macaulay would, you know, put everything in jeopardy because again, his love is the job more than Edie. And so it makes sense that he's, you know, my pride's been hit. I need to take care of this. Right. I, yeah. I've never had a problem with that. I thought it, I thought it kind of checked out because it's almost like a, <laughs> he's such a professional that it's almost like that this guy yeah just ruined his professional life as a criminal. And it's like almost like a, what's the word? Like a manner of like professional. I don't know. The, it's, it's just to kind of tie up this loose end. Like he can't let this. And it could also be like, he is still a human being who just is very yeah. angry and wants revenge. Like people say a lot of shit and they don't follow up on, it. you know what I mean? It's like, exactly. He's reacting in the moment <laughs> and in his, his family is his team and, and Wayne Grow is responsible for his entire family being killed except for uh, Shaherless, who, right. but he's still never going to see Chris again. So his, his family's gone. <laughs> right. And he just ruins, I mean, Wayne Grow is like the complete thorn in the side that just yeah ruins everything. And, uh, so yeah, I mean, people say a lot of things when they're level-headed, you know what I mean? But they don't follow through. Like I give great advice to other people that I can't give myself, or, you know, <laughs> and I say things every day, like I'm going to eat healthier day and I don't eat, do I don't do that. So exactly. you can say a lot of, you can live by a lot of mottos and then just not go through with it. Um, and I just think in that moment, it's like he gets, I mean, he gets off at exit so quick. It's a, it's a spur of the moment decision that he just, I think it's just, I think it's just tearing at him. Like you said, it's just like, this guy just ruined everything and he knows right where he is. And he's like, I think maybe he even thinks he can really take care of it really quickly and just get out. You know what I mean? Like, I think, yeah. he, I don't know if he thinks it's like actually going to get him busted. I'm sure he thinks that knows it's an option, but it's like, I'm sure part of him thinks, Oh, I can kill this guy and hopefully just keep going to the airport. You know what I mean? So, um, I, I don't know. I never had a problem with that. Like, I just think that's a human moment where he just, you know, can't, let it go and he just you know he just has to go take care of it and it completely blows up in his face obviously so um because I, I do think he cares about amy brenneman's character but i just think that the other thing just overwhelms him and he just has to go take care of it because like that's what all these guys i think well i think pacino also to jump over him i think i'm like this guy has so much empathy and i was really keyed in on the scene this time when he hugs that mother of the 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 prostitute that's killed by Wangro. And yes, he like exactly. will not let her see the body, won't let her get close. And I feel like his character has so much empathy. He cares about Natalie Portman's character too. And he says a lot, he says a lot of stuff too. He he criticizes Natalie Portman's dad, but he's never there either. It's exactly. like Pacino's like, this guy's never here. And he's like, and I feel like the wife looks at him like, Are you serious? You're never here either. <laughs> but he's like, he cares about stuff, but he can't he can't separate himself from the job, which I think is De Niro too. It's like they care about these things, but they just cannot separate from the job no matter how badly they want to and and i'm glad you brought up pacino because he is a big thing that i keyed in on in this one because you know if you, if you haven't watched heat in a while um you kind of it stays in your head as you know the the, the diner scene the shootout and then you know the only romantic death in the movie the end <laughs> when yeah. they hold hands but in in, in the if, if anything else is in your mind over the years it's the she's got a great ass scene so so yeah and, and and it's a great moment but i think a lot of people misremember his performance as being big you know it's right around the time of son of a woman it's when pacino was kind of going from it's kind of when pacino finally stopped being the soft voiced you know 
you know, soft boy, basically that he was in the seventies and, you know, a little bit in the eighties to finally the transition into full on like Hua Pacino <laughs> where, where like every scene, yeah. I think people misremember heat as, you know, being kind of in the similar vein, but his performance is so much more than that. And, and I honestly think this might be my favorite performance of his because it goes through so many different Pacino emotions, I guess is the only way to say it. <laughs> but, but the scene that really stuck with me is when he's sitting there and, you know, his, uh, Diane Venora says, you know, something about, you know, you said you'd be home tonight. And he just, he tells her all about his day, you know, not that specific day, but basically what he sees every day and then kind of ends it with, you know, trailing off saying, I'm sorry, I let the chicken get overcooked. And he just like trails off and, you know, you know, lets the chicken fall out of his hand. Mm. And that moment is just, I think some of Pacino's best acting ever. And I just really was, having not seen it in so long and just having the idea in my head of, you know, big bombastic Pacino, it really, I was taken aback by how nuanced he was. And, and you forget that about Pacino that he, I, I think people sometimes don't give him enough credit because he can fall into parody a little bit, but I think in this movie, he, all of that kind of swirls into something that's like really just incredible for me. Yeah. I mean, I could not agree more with everything you said. Cause I was thinking too, I'm like, People are so keyed in. I mean, it's kind of like the whole the, the thing with Heat is like people. It's a big movie. It's three hours long. People pick out these moments, and like the the only two that I can really think of top of my head that are like big Pacino moments are of course like she's got a great ass, like <laughs> which is great. And then I I even posted recently just uh when he's like give me all you got, give me all you got. That too, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just like, but I mean, there's like I think a couple of little ones, but it's a long movie, and there's that's the only two I can think of top of my head that are like real like i would call them who Pacino <laughs> like um because otherwise yeah he's doing a lot of stuff he's running the gamut of emotions um i mean you a, a scene you would think he'd blow up in is when he comes home and finds his wife uh has xander berkeley uh, right, oh, right. <laughs> yeah like, i always forget the, in this movie yeah. I, know, I do too and i'm like oh shit is xander berkeley i'm like this time i feel bad for him. like candy man is such a piece of shit but in this movie it's like he's <laughs> like she told me she was single or whatever and he's like just sitting i always think how funny it is how awkward he is or how awkward it would be to be him sitting there have this couple has this marital fight and like and she even says right in front of him like basically like you're making me lower myself to sleep with Ralph. And it's like, he's still <laughs> sitting there. We don't even see his reaction, but it's like, but it's like, he's just probably like, Oh, okay, great. I guess I'll go home now. <laughs> like, and that, that's a great point. How much Pacino underplays that moment. Because again, like you said, in, in a, maybe a lesser performance or even a lesser movie, he would come home and explode. There would be a big fight. Maybe he'd beat, beat the guy up, but he just, no, he, he's just like, oh, okay, this is what you want. Okay. Well, you know, he, and it's funny that his, his explosion comes at the fact that he gets to watch his TV. Yeah. Just like that, that moment is so great. And, and I just, I think Pacino is just so attuned to who this character is. And, and there's so many, like, I, I wish I could focus on like a single moment, but it's kind of hard because almost every scene of him talking to somebody in this movie, you can feel him thinking about 10 other things in the back of his head. Mm -hmm. And it's just, I think that's so hard to convey on screen. I think it's so hard to play distraction and he plays that in every scene. And it's incredible because he's, he's laser focused on who he's talking to, but you also hear just the cadence of his voice, you know, his eyes moving around. He's his, his mind is so preoccupied with his job and I think 
Pacino just nails that. It's just the, the scenes where he's talking to people, you can just feel him a million miles away, but also right there with them at the same time. I've never seen anything quite like what he's doing in this movie. It's wild. That's, that's a great, yeah, a great way to put it because <laughs> it does feel like the gears are always turning. Um, he's always trying to think or outthink somebody. And I, it's, I mean, it's so hard to pick a favorite Pacino performance because oh, sure. I just scroll through his IMDb and I'm like, uh-huh, amazing, <laughs> amazing, amazing. Um, like I just watched Serpico for the first time not too long oh, ago. Oh, he's incredible in that. He's so good. I, yeah. the, I think the movie's good, but I think he's like beyond the movie, if that makes sense. Like I think his performance sure. is like extraordinary in that movie. And like, um, it's just amazing. And that's way more like, I would say subtle Pacino compared to like what, what he gets into <laughs> like in the nineties. But like, yeah, this is way more subtle than I think people remember. Cause the couple moments where he really goes full crazy Pacino are so, are so <laughs> memorable that it's like in the diner scene is played. I mean, we got to talk about the diner scene because it's like, oh, that for was, sure. that's all like, I heard about for years was the shootout in the diner, the diner scene. That's like, and it is really great. I think it actually that gets better the more I watch it, I almost think that was one of those things when I first saw the movie that I was almost underwhelmed by, which I don't know what I was thinking, but again, I was like 13 or 14. So, um, <laughs> but I, these guys are just like, like, like focus in on each other and they're figuring each other out. Um, and they, they are just literally, I mean, it's like an old cliche, but like two sides of the same coin. Um, that's what I love about like John Woo movies. He's always doing this thing with like cops and criminals and like, yeah. Oh, yeah. they're really not that different. They're you know, two sides of the same coin. And like, these guys are just so locked in on their jobs that the rest of their lives have kind of just fallen to the wayside. Like Pacino's at least tried to get married and it has not worked out. <laughs> and like, I know De Niro's like taking the opposite approach where his character, I don't think is like ever settled down with anybody. And, but they have no time or really patience for that i think it's just like they are and this is a total michael mann thing it's like always joke about michael mann is like he loves people who are great at their jobs and these guys are like one of the best cops one of the best criminals and uh michael mann seems like he's having this is that's why i think it's like his masterpiece because i think it just is like everything he does well in one movie and like every theme that he hits on is like it peaks here it helps when you have De Niro on pacino playing the leads like that's yeah. it's hard to top and it's like he loves cops. I feel like he does a lot of stuff with cops and criminals, just a lot of stuff with guys who are just the best at their jobs, the best thief, the best cop, the best criminal. He does all, the best boxer. He does the best hacker. It's like everything is like the best or one of the best. And he loves people that are just like great at their jobs. And these guys are great at their jobs. But like, I love that he gets into how much the rest of their lives just suffer. But they do understand each other, I think, even though they're complete opposite sides of the law. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a beautiful scene. And like, I, I couldn't say it any better than what you just said. And I, I think the only thing I can really add to that is I do get being underwhelmed by it, especially if you're younger or even audiences in the nineties, because again, this movie was a hit, it, you know, it did what pretty well critically, but I still remember, you know, my dad, who was always a big fan of it, telling me that people were kind of disappointed by it at the time. And I can maybe kind of see that because if, you know, you have these decades of these two iconic actors, especially at that time, you know, because they hadn't really fought, become the parodies that they became in the 2000s. By that point, you know, De Niro wasn't starring in Rocky and Bullwinkle yet and everything. <laughs> so they hadn't really become, they hadn't fallen into the parody, you know, part of their uh, careers yet. Thank God. Um, and they're, <laughs> they, they feels like they're out of it now, which, too, which is nice too. Yeah. But, um, 
So this is like maybe the height of their icon status. And so for the only time you get to see them interact until the end um, is this muted, quiet coffee shop scene. I can see why people, you know, maybe went into it thinking, oh, we're going to have this big bombastic blowout where, you know, these two incredible actors are going to, you know, scream at each other, you know, <laughs> I'm going to get you, I'm going to get you. But like their I'm going to get you moment is just so quiet. It's just, I'm brother, you are going down. You know, that's all it is. <laughs> and it's just, it's so... I think it's pretty beautiful because there's this respect that they have for one another. And I don't think it needs to be bombastic because that's not the kind of people that these two guys are, you know, they're these quiet professionals committed to what they do. And it's, I think the only scene like that, that's comparable in man's filmography is the Will Graham and Hannibal Lecter scene in Manhunter. And, you know, with, with those two talking to one another, you know, this deep respect for each other. And it's, yeah, it's just a beautiful scene. And I don't know, have you ever seen LA, LA Takedown, the TV movie that was the basis for Heat? I have not. I, I, I know it's kind of hard to see, right? You have to watch it on YouTube probably. Yeah. If, I, yeah. if you're a man, like super fan like me, uh, it's worth checking out. But otherwise, it's like, it's bad. I mean, <laughs> and it, 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 this has been said about it before, so I'm not breaking new ground here, but it definitely shows you why movie stars are important because if you watch that coffee shop scene in LA takedown, I would maybe recommend just watching that moment because the actors are Scott Plank and Alex MacArthur, who I don't really know from anything. And um, it's just, they're saying the same, almost beat for beat, the same exact dialogue as De Niro and Pacino. And you don't feel any of it. You're just like, Oh, this is horrible. And like, it's just, it's so wild to see a test run for heat. And, and it's so wild to see that scene specifically the scene that's like, I would say one of like maybe the 20 most iconic moments in film history is that coffee shop scene. And to see it rendered so inert and just <laughs> boring by these two nobodies is just so embarrassing to watch. And it's just wild. It's a, it's a wild thing. So yeah, if you've never seen LA Takedown, I don't really recommend it, but I would, I do think it's kind of a fun exercise to watch the diner scene back to back with each other. I think someone on YouTube might've put them back to back. Oh, um, yeah, but uh, yeah, didn't mean to go off on that tangent, but it's just okay. I always, I, yeah, <laughs> I kind of I, I kind of want to see it, but I kind of don't because I, it's like it doesn't sound like it'd be very good. Like you just said, it's not good, but it's like no, for like an experiment, like a fascinating kind of thing, you know, like um, to just see how it plays with different people basically doing the same thing. Um, and I do kind of feel like I'm a man completionist now, even though I haven't seen everything. I, I the ones I haven't seen are the keep which I know he really hates and uh, Ali um, and LA Ali. Yeah. Ali's pretty close to being a masterpiece for me. There's a, I have a few friends who will definitely argue that that's his best and I can kind of see where they're coming from. But uh, yeah, the keep I love, I think that that's such a weird, strange movie. doesn't work at all. Definitely. You know, it's a misshapen movie, but the first hour of the keep might be some of the best filmmaking he's ever done. And oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, it's it's a pretty incredible movie. I think there is a a restored print of it out there floating around somewhere. I just wish that I wish that's you know whatever's going on with that movie and its rights could just you know someone could handle it and we would get a nice edition of it because it deserves it as misshapen as it is. But yeah, but LA Takedown though, I it, it's a slog and it's it's only like ninety <laughs> minutes long too. That's the thing. It's, yes, it's, it's half, half the, the length. length. Yeah, how does that happen? It's yeah. like <laughs> half the length and like. It's twice as bad i don't know it's like very weird like I, i'm sure i will see it as just like the completionist and, and just to compare to heat uh i don't think i'll like it but i it's like i kind of feel like i have to see it but um 
yeah, I don't know. It sounds interesting. And that's so funny. You bring that up at like, I mean, it's these actors doing the thing. That's what makes it special. It's like, and yeah. just not the fact that it's just, oh, it's Pacino Nero. It's like that they're both really good actors in the way they yeah. play it. <laughs> and I love the Michael Mann, like doesn't in that scene. I don't know if he really changes between like the two different camera setups. I think he just goes back and forth on their close-ups and it's yeah, not, and he's not was... trying to do anything too crazy with it because he knows I've got Pacino Nero doing this stuff. I don't need to do anything that crazy. So and, and there was that uh, internet rumor for the longest time that they didn't film that scene together. And, you know, that that's obviously been shot down because there's set photos of them sitting in the diner together. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I think people got it in their heads that, that, that they didn't shoot that together because he does just do, you know, a uh, shot reverse shot of them talking to each other. And, and it's like very, there, there's not a lot of um, ceremony to it, which I think is really cool, you know, and, but but it's just it's so funny that you know for years people were like oh you know the, you know those two didn't film that scene together and it's like no you're that that's not true but I can, <laughs> I guess I can see where you're coming from but can you imagine trying to act you know in that scene not being across from one another I mean they're such great actors that they could probably pull it off but I just think that scene loses its magic if they're not there together yeah yeah and I I. I never actually, I think I've heard that rumor. Like I could see how people could think that, but I think I missed that. I mean, I've seen the set photos where they were clearly on set oh, yeah. across from each other. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that would be weird. But I mean, they, I, I think I read something too about either Pacino or De Niro, maybe both of them insisted to Michael Mann, they do not rehearse the scene. They just wanted to go in and just do it for that feeling of like, kind of feeling each other out, you know, not, they don't want to be too familiar type thing. Um, I hadn't which, read that, but that, that makes a lot of sense. That's really, I like that a lot. Because yeah. it feels it feels raw when you're watching it. You can see their eyes moving back and forth on one another, especially De Niro. De Niro's kind of slumped in his seat, kind of like, you know, looking at this guy, like, who is this guy? Yeah, <laughs> mm -hmm. you totally get that vibe that, you know, this, you believe that this is the first meeting that these two people have had, even though, you know, De Niro and Pacino have probably known each other forever. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but it does have that feeling of like, just two guys really trying to feel each other out who've never interacted before. And like, yeah, having a pleasant enough conversation even i mean i love even pacino i think is the one it's like he's like brother if it comes down to it he's like i don't want to do it i'll put you down like he even yeah. says something like i don't want i don't i don't yeah. want to do it but uh he says now that i've met you and we know each other and he kind of basically says like i we're friends now even though they're not like yeah <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> and just um, as a total 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 aside but if nobody's seen den of thieves you absolutely need to see it. It's an it's an incredible movie. A lot of people say, "Oh, it's a dumb, it's a fun bad movie." No, it's just a good movie. But, but if you if you want to know the appeal of Den of Thieves, the heat diner scene takes place at a hibachi restaurant between two like meathead <laughs> bros, and it's incredible. <laughs> so I think yeah, I'm always going to recommend Den of Thieves. Everyone needs to see that movie. <laughs> I'm glad you brought it up because I wanted to bring it up at some point because I think yeah. I, I like it too. I kind of went in here and it was like there were so many nicknames for it, like Heat Junior. Or like red box heat. It was like always <laughs> something disparaging, like comparing it to heat. And I don't think it's as good as heat. But I think oh, I, no, no, I think no, I no. gave it like four stars on Letterboxd. I really liked it. Yeah. Um it's I was, nothing nothing will be as good as heat. But you know, I think that a lot of people watch the, I think people see Gerard Butler in it and they go, Oh, well, you know, this is probably a dumb bad movie. And it's like it it is dumb. It's a, dumb as a box of rocks, but it's a great film. It's just it's exactly what it sets out to do. And and I mean the shootout at the end, I will say, almost rivals the shootout in the middle of heat for, for me. I mean, it's great a great shootout. shootout. Uh, no, I would recommend Dent Thieves to people all the time because I think it had a bad rap coming out. And then I saw it and was like, this is actually really good. And I kind of, yeah. I do want to do an episode at some point. I almost have an idea to bring back, like, to to bring, like, you 
and a couple of our action Twitter people who I know like it and just kind of do like our own like den of thieves. Oh, <laughs> like, that would be awesome. Get the den crew of thieves together. round table. Yeah. yeah. That would, that would <laughs> like, be perfect. <laughs> get the get the crew together. Um it's a good crew. Uh <laughs> I mean now we're so into this. I'm like, there's so many other scenes I could go to. There's so many I guess we should talk about a shootout again, another big oh, yeah. moment that it, it li- that lives up to the building. I remember when I saw this, like if I was disappointed in anything else, I was not disappointed in the shootout because it is so intense. The gunshots are so goddamn loud. It's like, I think whenever I watch it, my neighbors are going to like come over and be like, what's happening over here? Like, well, and I've, I've yeah. heard from so many people that like, you know, I think vice has mentioned this before on one podcast or another somewhere. Uh, also, Chris Barreras, I think, has mentioned this somewhere. I could be misquoting them and just giving them, you know, they're, they're, they might listen to this and be like, I never said that. But <laughs> I feel like I've heard them say this, but I have heard other people say this, too, that, like, that shootout is shown by, you know, military instructors as, like, this is how you, you know, shoot these guns. Like, ta- this is, like, pr- uh, tactically uh, perfect. Um, and I, I never really picked up on that how true that was until you especially kilmer kilmer in that scene mm-hmm. is like he looks like somebody who's been doing this his whole life it's wild <laughs> i mean he i keep saying wild because i don't know how else to describe it but the the constant um i, I don't know why i'm doing this in my bedroom right now because i'm like I, i'm mimicking <laughs> what he's doing but you can't see me and the <laughs> listeners definitely can't see me but it's the way he t- keeps turning back and forth shooting behind yeah. him shooting in front of him and it's just so perfect. It's so fluid what he's doing. And someone told me in my Twitter thread, um, I never knew this, that he actually had experience shooting guns. He was the only one on in that scene who did. So he was actually teaching the other actors how to do that, which I never heard before. But I buy that because Kilmer is such an eccentric professional guy that, you know, <laughs> he really gets into these roles. And I've always kind of found him hard to take a little bit. I love Val Kilmer, but he does get a little bit into like acting as, you know, he kind of feels like I've heard him say before that he knows what it's like, you know, to do this job or this job or this job because he's acted it. And I kind of don't believe that. Cause I'm like, <laughs> I don't know if you really know how to do these things, but, but the shooting, yeah. I, I fully believe I just, you, he, and that scene is just like, you forget it's Val Kilmer. You're like, Oh, this is like a guy that this is a mercenary. Like he can do this. It's, it's just so crazy. Yeah, yeah, and I think I, I must have read that on that thread too because I never knew that. I was kind of surprised. So I'm like, he didn't strike me as the type of guy that would be shooting guns or have tactical training of any kind. But like, yeah, because he's like a sensitive art type. It almost right. feels like. <laughs> yeah, and I watch. Do you ever watch a documentary, um, Val about him? Oh yeah, that's such a sad documentary. Oh, it's so yeah. sad, but it's good, and it it kind of gets into his like method acting bull bullshit. I would call it bullshit because I feel like it gets it's a little valid. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, because he was a brando lover and they has the whole thing about we got to work with brando i guess a little bit on island dr moreau yeah um and he's such a brando like guy and like he was the method acting guy and it was just kind of like i think i can't remember it says it but i feel like even he's a little bit like i got a little too into the method acting stuff yeah <laughs> like, that, that little... documentary helped me a little bit put him into context and to see him as he was so like i said i've always loved kilmer always kind of thought he was annoying but then that documentary i was like oh no he he gets it. He gets where, where people are coming from with their opinion of him. And so, yeah, that I, I have a lot of appreciation for him, especially now, you know, that he can't speak anymore, which is just so sad. Yeah. Yeah. I think even before he, he got sick, I think he was like kind of humbled just in his career and kind of had calmed down. I mean, I think his own admission, he was very difficult to work with. Yeah. Um, 
in the mid nineties. I know on Island Dr. Moreau, he mentioned he was tough to work with. <laughs> like, uh, again, kind of following Brando's lead because Brando was tough to work with. And it's like, I feel like he was trying to do what he did. And, um, but yeah, there's... I mean, the... Oh, sorry. I just, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> well, there's, there's a few people in this movie that I remember even at the time being younger, maybe not quite in 95, but as I was growing up, cause my dad is such a film buff and like, it's funny because he talks a lot about how I've even surpassed his knowledge of film. He's like, but um, <laughs> he has so much of it. And just growing up, I remember hearing, you know, names like in two guys in this movie, Val Kilmer, Tom Sizemore, my dad would always talk about, you know, they could have been some of the best actors ever if they just kept it together. And it's just, it's so interesting to see them at their prime because you see it, you see these two guys that are just like, they're fantastic. And especially Sizemore. Sizemore really destroyed his life. And, yeah, yeah. And But but you see, and those were names that I heard all throughout my like young or older childhood, young teen, you know, just my dad telling me like, oh, if you really want to, you know, seek out really good actors, you know, Mickey Rourke was another one he would always bring up. Oh, just these yeah. names, yeah, just these names of guys that were just like, they were on the cusp of being like the next De Niro, the next Pacino, and just really just ruined it because of either being hard to work with, drugs, you know, just being eccentric. And it's just, it's, it's why it's it's really cool that there's two of those guys in this movie at their peak giving incredible performances yeah that's a good point and i even i could almost throw i don't think ruined his career but watching someone like john voight now yes who, yeah. uh, political views are way uh <laughs> way out there i think and just i think kind of a bad person as well i think there was stuff about him and angela julie where he was like a shitty dad and yeah they um, don't really talk yeah yeah and it's like but he again somebody who's like it might be a shitty person, but you're really good in this movie and limited role. Like he doesn't do too much. He's the guy that kind of gets information and gets them supplies and sets them up and things like that. But um, you yeah, always forget it, how good he is. And then you see him in this movie and you're like, oh, yeah, the, John Voight's one of the best. And you just forget right. that because of who he is. And he's just, yeah. Right. I think I remember him like Anaconda. Oh, yeah. Like, whatever <laughs> that performance accent. is. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's, it's entertaining. It's not good, but it's entertaining. Uh, so he's another weird one. It's amazing. Michael Mann wrangled all these people. Like, oh, I yeah. Think about it. Like um, very few people, I think, could could get this cast together. And like, I don't remember hearing any stories of like, you know, um, people acting crazy on set or being difficult. Like it, it feels like everyone really like stepped up to like they must have known it was special like from the get-go and like just brought their a games it really feels like that that happened yeah, there's there's never like too many stories because he keeps everything so professional the only one that you hear horror stories from is miami vice just because oh, yeah. that shoot was such a nightmare and like jamie fox you know i still believe rightfully walked off the set because he didn't want to get shot at <laughs> and, um, but um, yeah, i can't blame him for that one <laughs> yeah. yeah the the only other really kind of story that you hear of any kind of difficulty is i i don't know if you've ever heard this but um on the set of public enemies he was getting frustrated that johnny depp wasn't like i'm gonna get i'm gonna butcher this story but i i think i'm gonna get like the bones of it right but there was a scene that he couldn't he wasn't connecting with what johnny depp was doing and then he was finally just like i think i figured out why i'm not getting what you know what i want from you you're not a good actor <laughs> 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 and I guess John, oh. from, and I think Johnny Depp might have stormed off the set at hearing that. And it's just like, it's so funny that, you know, now with, you know, everything that has come out about Johnny Depp since, it's just so funny that back then man was just like, wait, you, you, you stuck. Like what, what's going on here? <laughs> Why did <laughs> I hire think, you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think Johnny Depp sucks, but I do think even at that time, he kind of did get into his shtick a little bit you know and man kind of pulls him out of that i think it's a good performance that's my least favorite man movie but a lot of people tell me to go back and rewatch it so one day i will 
Yeah, I need to rewatch that one too because I, I think I mentioned we did the Miami Vice episode. I had like a bad theater experience, but right? It was like yeah, yeah, completely separate from the movie. And I, I remember, I, I think it to me at the time felt a little, a little long, a little boring. But again, a bad theater experience could really completely change the movie for you. So well, and in the time that since that movie, he has solidified as my favorite filmmaker. So I think I at least owe him one right. rewatch just to see what i think yeah. <laughs> again i have it on blu-ray somewhere because i found it very cheap like two or three dollars yeah. and i was like oh that's worth two or three dollars i'm like okay, yeah. movie like <laughs> um so uh man i know we're kind of running a little short in time so i don't know is there anything you really want to bring up about heat that i don't want to you know i don't want to skip over anything or anything you really want to talk we, about we covered so much of it it's just it's like like you said at the beginning when we first started talking about it it's just there's so many threads you can go down that I feel like anyone listening to this is probably going to think like, Oh, you didn't cover this. You didn't cover that. But I mean, it's just, <laughs> I mean, I, I guess the only thing that I could really say is how confident his filmmaking is here. And I know it's such a kind of like a vague thing to say, especially when all of his films are confident. Like when you're debut, I mean, I know that he did a TV movie before thief called Jericho mile, which is really good. Um, but if your debut, like, in like theatrical debut as thief i mean you're a confident filmmaker because that that movie's incredible <laughs> um, but yeah yeah <laughs> but um just in this you the, the the i posted it i think the scene with the match cuts where they're breaking in to that vault and they're being watched from the trucks oh my god and, yeah it's <laughs> and when, when they make eye contact but not really make eye contact that scene is just incredible and and I, I want to say it was Vice saw the 4K restoration in New York. And he's, when I posted that scene, he said that it really bothered him because people were laughing at it in the, in the theater. And I was like, what could they have been laughing at? And a few people said, well, it is kind of cheesy, like the match cut. And I'm like, what do you mean? It's how is that cheesy? Like, it's yeah. perfect. It's just I don't understand that at all to say that's I think that moment that moment is like, I don't breathe. Like, I feel no, like I'm like no. the guys in the truck where I'm like, oh, shit, like, because it's just it's so I love how it's like they're seeing each other, but they're obviously not seeing each other. Um, I think it's so well done. I could not imagine laughing at that moment. No, that's so crazy. And, and that's just something not to go off on a tangent, but I have been to rep screenings where like, I think people just think that, you know, laughing at things that they recognize is like the right response. But I always find that kind of mocking our, our buddy, Mike uh, always talks about, I, I, I want to say hard boiled was the movie, but he's brought this up on so many of his various podcasts about how he saw hard boiled at a rep screening and everyone was laughing at it and it infuriated him. And I'm like, I agree with you. I mean, this movie's a ma hard boiled is a masterpiece. What are that you laughing at? Me too. Yeah. That would have really yeah. pissed me off. I mean, <laughs> I guess there's, I, it's funny because I thought there's more awkward moments and like maybe like the killer or something. People laugh at like the Mickey mouse. Uh, oh God, is it Dumbo? They had two nicknames yeah. they call each other. Yeah. There's like a few more, I, I, I corny is not the right word, but I can't think of a better word, but like, well, Hong Kong, don't, yeah, play quite as well for American audiences yeah, versus Hong Kong audiences. Yeah. There are those tonal shifts. And I mean, it is something that just is inherent in Hong Kong cinema that like something will be deathly serious. And then the next scene or like the cops goofing around at the police station to like slapsticky music. It just, <laughs> it is what it is. But I mean, yeah. so I get, I get that aspect of it. But like when they, when, when they're in that hospital shootout, again, another great shootout, like like I'm just on the edge of my seat. Like there's nothing funny going on there. Yeah. That hospital shootout. I, I think I said before with Mike about, we talked about hard world and the killer. It's my favorite action set piece of all time. It's amazing. Oh, like, it's, and it just goes on and on. Like I remember <laughs> I watched it for the first time actually a couple of years ago. And uh, 
and my ex was in the living room with me and she doesn't really mind action, but I just remember her being like, this is going on forever. What the hell is going on? And I'm like, yeah, isn't it awesome? And she was like, I can't take the gunshots anymore. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, I guess. I, I remember one time I was, uh, my sister lived with me for a little bit and I was watching some, like a John, I think I was watching John Wick, one of the John Wicks. And oh, yeah. it, I was kind of numb to it. She was like, is there ever, are they going to stop firing guns at some point? <laughs> She's like, there's been constant gunfire for like 20 minutes. I'm like, what? Oh, okay. It doesn't bother me, but I guess, yeah. Somebody be like, I totally, yeah, that, gunfire. <laughs> that that's the only reason I brought that up is that I just get, I do get like people becoming like numb to that kind of thing. But for me, I'm just like, this is incredible. I can't believe this is still going on. <laughs> the heat <laughs> shootouts like that too. It goes on oh way God. longer than you remember. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, feels very real, I think, because of just how everyone's moving and how uh, it's just, I mean, shot on a real street, obviously. And the, the gunfire, which I think I read, he put live mics all over the, the area and captured yeah. those those uh they're firing blinks obviously but still you know it's like capturing the sound of gunfire and it that's like the one i feel like this is the way people if i'm watching people be like what's going on down there because it's like <laughs> the gunfire is so loud and so like it hits you in the chest like which is like i've only shot guns like twice in my life and i don't even know i was like taken there you know like by yeah like, to a gun it's like if you're standing anywhere in like a gun range gunshots well, just they're so loud. It's like they hit you in the chest. Oh, yeah. It's just crazy. And like, I, I again, I can't speak like people like I know Vice and Chris would know better than I would um, about shooting guns. I because I, I've barely ever done it. And but I think this seems like very realistic for how a real shootout would feel and sound and all those kind of things. Oh, and he he does that in so many of his movies. And it's funny because there's, you know, like the story about him is that he's apparently hard of hearing and always has been. Oh. And so, so when you, when he, he mixes his movies, it's frustrating for, you know, being at home because you have to turn it all the way up to hear people talking because they're whispering, but then the gunshots are like insane. It sounds like it's happening in your living room. And so he, <laughs> he adjusts the volume in, and I, I like to the point where like, someone slams the door and you're like, Whoa, but then someone's talking and you're like, what are they saying? And like, but, um, but, but like the shootout in Miami vice at the end is, mm. is incredible. Um, I always yeah. think about just the, the tactical precision in that, like there's a moment where Justin Thoreau is like rolling around on the ground. And I'm just like, that feels so real to me, the way he's rolling back and forth shooting. There's the, there's a shootout in black hat is just unbelievable. That's one thing that man just gets perfectly, and you can tell how committed he is to making it as realistic as possible. It just, yeah, it's, it's in, incredible. It's it's pretty amazing. I uh, I was gonna say a couple other things I want to mention before we put to wrap up. There's a moment someone has pointed out. I don't remember where I first read it, but I can never not notice it now. And it's a very small moment when Pacino has um, saved Natalie Portman, who tried to commit suicide. He takes her to the hospital and meets uh, Diane Verona. Or Venora, sorry, I thought it was wrong. Um, and they're they're sitting in like the waiting room. Natalie Portman's gonna be okay, and they're having like a a real conversation. They're kind of connecting, but she does ask him like, "Do you think there's any chance for us?" Kind of, and I can't remember. I feel like he says, "I just don't know," or he's like, "I can't say." Yeah. But then he gets a page, and then the moment I'm thinking of, see, she he kind of doesn't want to go. I think, but she's like, "Just go. Let me know you're safe." And the way he like run slash almost skips down the stairs out of there it's like how i run down to get a pizza it's like he said, <laughs> someone said it's like him being released back into the wild like from this duty of trying to be a, yeah. a husband and like a stepfather it's like he's it's it's almost like a 
like there's some kind of joy or like he's free. It's like, oh, I can finally go back and do my job, which I which I just want to be doing. It's like he's been freed from this responsibility and he kind of skips down the stairs. And I, every time I watch it now, I'm just like, that's kind of an amazing touch because I didn't really pick up on it before the last couple of times I watched the movie. I, I never would have picked up on that. And that's so true. Now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like replaying it. And it's, it's absolutely true. And it's like he's done his final duty in this family. He saved his stepdaughter's life and there's nothing left for him to do. He can't commit any more than that. <laughs> and <Yeah. laughs> and it's just, wow, that's such a good point. I, I, I love the little moments like that. I love the, um, there's that, I mean, it's, it's a little moment, but there's heavy emphasis on it when Diane, uh, I almost said Diane Lane, Jesus, Ashley Judd. <laughs> I don't know how I confuse those two, <laughs> but uh, Ashley Judd, you know, does the finger movement to, to Val Kilmer and, you know, tells him, you know, this is a no go. That, that scene is so beautiful, but it's so small. And again, it's just every touch a lesser filmmaker might have the urge to go bigger, but man is always just so committed to the, the quiet moments that really land with you harder. It, it's just, it's, it's yeah. what makes it very pulpy to me. You know, you read like a crime novel, which I'm in the middle of heat two right now. And it's the same thing. His, his text is very blunted. It's very brief. And I think that that's perfect. I, I don't think there needs to be long explanations. You know, I can't do this because of this. You know, we, we do get some of that in this movie, why De Niro and Pacino can't commit to things. But we see that lack of commitment more through their actions than their words. And like you just said, skipping down the stairs is a perfect encapsulation <laughs> of that. <laughs> yeah. Now that I've it's pointed out to me, I'm like, I can't not see it. And it's brilliant because it does yeah. kind of feel like. It's like I said, he I think he wants to be there, but he also would rather be <laughs> out hunting criminals, I think. Exactly. Like, that's what he's great at. And um I don't <laughs> want to spend really quickly because I, I have bought Heat too, but I have not cracked it open. Are you, are you enjoying it so far? I like it so far. I need to get back to it because I'm actually I, I hope my editors don't listen to this, but uh I'm supposed to be writing a piece about it due at the end of the month, and I don't know if I'm gonna make it because I oh. haven't finished it, but uh <laughs> but it it's great so far. Um you really do feel man's voice. It's also, he has a co-writer on it. I don't want to get her name wrong. I believe it's Meg Gar Garden Gardiner. I want to say, I oh, don't know if I'm saying that for me. Uh, it looks like, yeah. Meg Gardner is what I would say. Yeah. 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 Um, but, but you, it, he, for someone who's never written a novel before, I mean, it's, it's very blunt, very to the point, but it does feel like man's voice to me. And it just, uh, this isn't giving anything away, but it just picks up right where the, movie left off uh with chris in hiding and uh and hannah searching for him but i mean there's just a really great intro that uh summarizes heat and just reading a, a summary of heat and man's voice is just incredible <laughs> like it's just <laughs> it's so it, it's it's just you feel the weight of that movie hit you as you're reading this like three or four page summary of heat and it's just it's beautiful and yeah uh I, I'm yeah. really enjoying it so far. Hopefully, you know, I can get through it to get this piece done. But uh, <laughs> but I'm just I'm I'm not as I I was telling uh I, I was telling my girlfriend the other day that um the the pandemic kind of like fried my brain to the point where like I I was in the middle of a book in March of 2020 and I'm still in the middle of that book. I haven't been able to finish a book the last three oh, years because wow. I just feel like something happened to me where like I can't focus anymore. But but I mean it's great though don't don't take me not having finished it as it not being great it's, it's oh a, no you're fine i mean I, I read i feel like i can read fast but i read very slowly because i just i'll read like 
I don't know, 20 pages or 30 pages and put it down and then not come back to it for a while. I always want to say I want to, I'm going to read more and then I don't. Uh, there's so many movies to watch, you know, so it's like who has the time? But I want to read more. But this one I'm trying to make a priority because I'm really in like a heat mode right now. And I just um, I really want to read. I heard really good things about it for the most part. So, oh, yeah, it's it's definitely because when when you first heard the idea, I'm sure you were a lot like everyone else. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, OK, it's weird. But yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but now that I'm like a little bit through it, I'm just like he's mentioned. I, I think at first he said he had no plans on turning it into a movie. And then as soon as it was released, I want to say it was during um the screening the anniversary screening he i don't think he was there for it but i do think he mentioned in the or no i i'm sorry it was he was on mark maron's podcast and he did oh, mention okay. th that he thinks that he could make this into a movie oh, um okay. yeah and so i was very against that at first even after the book came out i was like oh this might just be good as a book i don't know if you can recast these characters but now i'm like no i want to see what this is like even if you have to recast because he's going to have to recast everyone because a lot of it takes place in the eighties with younger Neil and younger Vincent. And then, then it takes place later on and still uh, you probably couldn't get Pacino back because he's too old. And unfortunately oh. Kilmer, you know, can't really right. do, do that kind of acting anymore. But um, yeah, so I'm hopeful that, you know, if it is turned into a movie that, you know, as long as he, I, I trust man with the casting, there's a lot of fan casting going around right <laughs> mm -hmm. now. I, I've seen a lot of people saying, uh, uh, Chris Pine for Shaherless, which I think is great casting, especially with his long hair that he's got going on right now. Oh, yeah. But, uh, and watching yeah. Hella Hard Water, I could see that. So yeah. it's just like he has that kind of not quite the same look, but I could see him pulling that off. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's I mean, um, it, really quick. I could be brought up briefly earlier. The the three main women in the cast, Ashley Judd, Amy Brenneman, Diane Venora. Like, I know I don't know if man on the page gives them a whole lot to do but i think all three of them and their performances bring a lot to it because basically with all three of them you could it's kind of like why are you with these guys and they all kind of have the the conflict of like they care about the guys they're with but they also seem like they kind of want to get away from them <laughs> but oh, like yeah. i think all three of them it's almost i'm almost more impressed because i don't know if they have a whole lot to do like on the page but i think it they bring so much to those performances that maybe not is even is not even there. I think Scorsese has gotten this knock too about female oh, characters. Yeah, and the Irishman, you know, that was a big one. But oh yeah, yeah. But like it, but it's like, you know, I mean, I don't know. It's like I just think they write what they know or they write they're writing the certain story and maybe it doesn't fit there. But like yeah, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I I think it's interesting from that perspective of just the three of them all like I think are very good and they're all in the kind of the same position of like they care about the guys they're with but it's like they're also conflicted <laughs> and it's like uh it's just int i find that i find their stuff more interesting every time i watch the movie as well but like um i totally agree with yeah. you and i think that he's such a good director of actors that even if it's not there on the page i think he gets something out of people that just really enhance the role more than maybe it would have been on the page like in, in you know you think about miami vice with gong lee like she brings so much to that character like that that character could just be like an icy um you know crime boss not much to yeah. her but but she brings so much pain and romance to that performance you know with with colin farrell and then even in black hat tong Wei is incredible and and there's really not much to her character either to be honest so i mean i think that he's 
I think he trusts that his he's hiring professionals, you know, because he's, he's very obsessed with professionalism. I think that there's a trust there between him and the actors that maybe if this isn't on the page, it's still I trust you to bring something to it that might not be there. And you're right. All three actresses in this movie just bring something that isn't there, especially Diane Venora. Like you you feel the shared history between her and Pacino deeply even though there's not much of it on screen just their interactions together like oh these people have been together for a while now and they just yeah. <laughs> they have this rapport that just is feels totally real to me yeah it's that's yeah they really do and i was gonna say i mean there's so many little moments in heat we couldn't even cover them anyway if we had like another hour i don't think but like so many little moments so many great nonverbal like looks everyone does everybody's great i think it's an amazing movie i still think it's his best it's still my favorite even though like again we talked about it before it's like Miami Vice is wonderful. Collateral's great. Black Cat's great. Thief is great. It's like he just got so <laughs> many great movies. But like, I just think this is like the best. This is all the stuff he does well with the best cast that he ever worked with. No offense to the other cast. But I mean, this cast is like hard to touch any, any, you know, it's just they're amazing, like from top to bottom. And I just think it's like it's his masterpiece. It's still my favorite. And it it gets better every time I watch it, which is like pretty incredible <laughs> so i um yeah. i couldn't have said that any better i completely agree with you and and like i said my favorite's always going to be miami vice uh i, I had this conversation uh, last year you know when when right after you and i talked about miami vice i was on miami nice and um <laughs> i talked to uh, uh blake and katie and i remember blake being really passionate about how he can't go to bat for Blackhead, even though he's a huge man fan. He's probably a bigger man fan than I am. Mm. And I mean, he dedicated an entire podcast to true, every yeah. So like, <laughs> but um, but he he was like, I can't go to bat for it. He's like, I don't understand how people rank it so high. And I and I was like, that's where I made the distinction. I was like, look, I was like, Black Hat is an extremely misshapen movie. It's nowhere near as good as Heat. But do I like it more than Heat? I might, but but I was saying that for a while. But then after rewatching Heat three days in a row, which is kind of crazy. Like I spent nine hours <laughs> over the course of a week just rewatching <laughs> this movie. I, I don't even think I can hold that opinion anymore. Miami Vice is still my favorite, but but Heat is like way up there. And it, it you know, neither of us are saying anything new here. It is his masterpiece. <laughs> right. But but I think it, with with the, you know, man reclamations that are being constantly going on on Twitter, on film Twitter and everything, it's easy to forget Heat sometimes. And it's just, I think it's important. I'm, I'm glad you asked me to be here because I think it's important anytime I can, now that I've rewatched it a bunch of times, to like really emphasize that, that no, this is his masterpiece. I don't think he's ever going to do better than this. And yes, the insider maybe is technically better, but if you want like Michael Mann distilled into one massive movie, it's heat. It's always going to be heat. Yeah, I, I would agree. And I will say just to I mean, distill it down to a very basic level, we don't have detail, but I think the movie looks amazing. Oh, and I think yes. Yeah. The score is great in this very subtle way. I don't think everybody knows the score till the last couple of times. And it's very under the surface, kind of subtle. But I think that works for the movie that that, you know, is playing out in front of you, because I just think it's one of those scores that kind of creeps in, but it's not trying to overpower anything. It's not filled with like huge things. It comes in when it needs to, but it's great. I think especially great at the end, the last moment of the movie with Pacino De Niro, and then it kicks on with the credits. I'm like, it's just I mean, it's it's a great movie from top to bottom. Every technical aspect i mean just i love this movie it's amazing i'm glad we talked about it um i feel like we talked about it a lot but we found plenty of stuff to talk about so i guess it was we, we, we had enough to talk <laughs> about so um but yeah i guess i know you probably you have something to do so we, we can wrap up but uh um 
any any last thoughts on heat or you you said it already i think <laughs> oh no the uh, i kind of just that i i would probably just be repeating myself <laughs> okay <laughs> well now i will let you go ahead and just plug where people could follow you anything you're working on anything like that so uh yeah go for it <laughs> oh um well i i guess i'll just take this moment to say uh was just recently i've been writing for secret handshake cinema for a while now uh they're kind of like a more startup site uh it's run by two really cool guys uh Jacob Knight on Twitter and then I don't know if Martin's on Twitter but but they do a podcast which you know not to plug another podcast on your podcast but uh <laughs> but they do a podcast um it's just called Secret Handshake Pod and yeah so the point of that is I've been writing for them for about a year now and they just recently made me uh, a full-on staff writer which I'm really excited about and um I guess I can kind of break the news here which it's not like the biggest news in the world but uh I'm going to be taking over their Twitter as their social media manager next month. So I think if you follow me, I really would appreciate if everyone follows Secret Handshake Pod on Twitter because they're doing really cool stuff there, a lot of cult stuff. I've written a little bit, uh, not about man, but maybe man adjacent on there. I'm, but I hopefully I'm going to have something about heat and heat too for them at the end of the month. So yeah, really cool stuff going on there. And I'm I'm really excited to be a part of it. So yeah, that that's probably the only thing I really want to plug is just Secret Handshake Cinema. No, no, that's cool. I do follow them already, actually. I think nice, uh, nice. we may have started around the same time, or I don't know. I feel like they were kind of coming up. We were coming up, and uh, um, I think we have a lot of the same uh, interests in movies. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, that's very cool. I saw that, that you were like an official staff writer. And they're very cool. Your social media. I expect a lot more Michael Mann posts from that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you so much for being here. Uh, come oh, back. Thank you. Hopefully yeah. it'll be a year next time. We got yeah, people. definitely. If anytime if you want to talk have about Michael on. Mann, we can do that or something else, whatever. <laughs> Just... Yeah, maybe maybe we'll both of us will rewatch one of the ones we were talking about needing to rewatch here soon, and maybe we can reevaluate that together, like Public <laughs> Enemies or something. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I'm gonna stealthily go through his whole filmography. Like I did the Tony Scott thing and called it, you know, Unscottable and had a whole thing. I might like stealthily just do all the Michael Mann movies. We'll it's, see. Hey, it's 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 a good time. I I did a brief version of that last year. I did the 80s stuff. I skipped right over the 90s stuff and then went into the 2000s. So yeah, it's it's a fun time doing that. But uh, don't skip over the 90s stuff because okay. Mohe <laughs> Mohican's Heat and Insider are just like an incredible run of three movies in that decade. Yeah, his whole career has been like a great run. It's amazing. And it was like, yeah. it was funny because I was comparing him to like, how many movies he had tony scott had 26 or no he he had 16 movies and and passed away in 2012 and michael mann still has less than that and he worked longer and is still a living filmmaker um he takes his time but the, he, it pays off because like i don't think he's ever made an outright dud that i've seen again i haven't seen a couple but like i know he hates the keep but like, <laughs> I, I feel like if you just even if you skip the keep and it's like that run is insane like it's I, it's truly incredible and nes ferrari coming next year right. i think which is exciting i'm ex yeah excited for him to be back because i thought he i thought he retired i thought he was like done and i'm like oh no he's back okay great so um and sorry i funny manhunter is one i didn't even mention and manhunter is amazing i love that movie oh it's, <laughs> it's so like, good and and that was one of the ones that when i was doing my mini rewatch last year that was one of the ones that i really was just like oh no this is like a five star banger all the way through like i completely forgot how great that movie was yeah it's so good i think people because that whole franchise has been a thing and like i know people really liked red dragon i didn't like red dragon that much no, i'm like manhunter's right there guys it's like, yeah uh, and, and it's yeah. easy to forget how great manhunter is because silence of the lambs is like the perfect crime drama and, right, and so it's so easy help. to forget. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but manhunter is right up there i mean they're demi and man are 
entirely different directors, both great in their own right. But I think that Manhunter is like as good as Silence of the Lambs. And I just hope if people have, have been sleeping on it, that they give it a chance because it's just, it's perfect. Yeah, that's, it's so good. That might be a future episode idea too, is Manhunter. Yeah, <laughs> so, for sure. <laughs> um, I could just do this all day talking about Michael Mann. But uh, well, again, <laughs> I have to stop. So thank you so much for being here. Um, I'll go ahead and plug our stuff. It's the usual. Um, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at Film Feast Pod. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Maplet87. Um, you can follow me and the podcast on Instagram at Film Feast, all one word. Um, and if you're kind enough, you could leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever platform you're on. Be much appreciated. Um, and that's it for this time. We'll be back next week. We're going to start uh, spooky season stuff. I have an episode with Carmelita Valdez McCoy on the Lost Boys kick things off. We're starting off a week early because we had too many episodes. Uh, so this is the last pre-spooky uh, pre season episode. But it's a good one. I, uh, I'm i really proud of this one already. I really had a great conversation. Thank you again, Brandon. Um, oh, thank and we'll talk, you. Yeah, talk to you guys next time. Bye, everybody.